Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Politicana podcast. It's been quite a while since we've been on the show. It's, of course, your host, Tyler, and my co-host. Pratik Patel. How are you doing today, Pratik? It's been quite a while since we discussed some politics on the uh, interwebs, but <laughs> I thought it was about time with all this madness going on in 2020. Uh, so today, we primarily wanted to focus on the Kamala Harris-Joe Biden ticket, where the election's going, and whatever else we feel like talking about. So any, anywhere you want to start in particular? I mean, we can start with Kamala Harris being declared as vice president. Yeah. So w- when I saw that, I wasn't surprised because I know they're looking for a moderate ticket that as many people as possible would be like, all right, it's maybe not my favorite thing in the world, but I can deal with it. The one, the, the, the big problem I see is the fact that she kind of, she has no ideology. She, she just seems to split her opinions based off the audience she's talking to and when she's talking to them. So when she's talking to super liberal people, she's all about, yeah, let's uh, get rid of private insurance, get rid of private prisons, all this different stuff. But in practice, when she was a prosecutor, she was forcing, uh, forcing nonviolent drug criminals to fight forest fires for under a dollar a day when it was basically inhumane to do so. It was indentured servitude. Um, so she kind of just counters herself a bunch. So I want to hear your thoughts on, on her and whether you think oh. it's a good pick. So my, my thought process is it was a, I mean, from Biden's perspective, it wasn't really a bad pick or anything. I do feel that like she will do exactly what Biden tells her to do and will have a similar agenda to his own if he does become president. But I do feel that in many cases, there are a lot of issues that can come with having Kamala Harris as, pre- as the vice president, primarily because she does have that more left-wing ideology and a lot of issues such as the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, many of those many like hardcore progressive policies. So she, they're trying to paint her as a moderate, but she's really not in terms of her own ideology and what she supports and what she's done in her own political history. Well, I don't and think she has do- an ideology. I literally think she just goes along <laughs> with what's... She's an opportunist at the, to the highest degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can see that. And my, my whole thought process is that whenever the debate was going on, she said a lot of negative stuff about Biden. She called yeah. him a racist. She said she had a lot of kinds of policies where she argued that Biden doesn't go far enough. He's not left enough. He's not a good enough representation of the party. She also felt Obama didn't do enough in terms of what he did whenever he was president. She also called out Joe Biden for touching people inappropriately and said that the victim should be heard. What does she think about that now? (laughs) You know, now she's a principal. She thinks she's going to, he's going to do great things for her and her family. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. She trusts her. She trusts him around his kids. Well, it's really interesting because in my opinion, the vice president for the Democrat side is super, super freaking important because we don't know how long Biden's going to last. I haven't seen him stand up in like months. I haven't seen the dude take a, take a step. He's sit, always sitting in a chair and half the time he's rambling about nonsense, nonsense that no one knows what he's talking about. So I think it's really important whether he cogni- cognitively dis- declines and then the VP's forced to take some responsibility. I, I don't think they would actually tell us if that were the case. I think the people in dark suits in the background are really going to be controlling some stuff uh, if if Biden's not completely there. I also think the Kamala Harris pick was not done by Joe Biden. It was done by a team of people that said, this is your best (laughs) shot. So So my my thinking with Joe Biden is, and Harris is that the Biden Harris ticket is almost exactly like the Clinton Kane ticket. 
I really don't see that much different from them. And like, for obvious reasons, particularly fiscally, I won't vote for them. And I know a lot of other people won't. People are going to jack up the capital gains tax, jack up the corporate tax. They're going to increase the income tax level to like 35% for the highest. And like, they have all kinds of crazy ideas that they think somehow they're moderates, but they're not really. But I mean, in terms of that, I also feel like I wonder if this will alienate any Bernie or Warren voters. I don't really see Kamala Harris as like being a Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders, but she has similar views to Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. So I wonder if that does cause more problems within their own party. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I think I, I think they're totally fractured. It really comes down to do they hate Trump enough to vote for this ticket? I think partially they do. Um, you know, she's a black woman, and if you're into identity politics, you know, it checks a few boxes. Um, she's also Indian. I don't know why Indians would vote for her based on like Indians being all about business and us usually being involved in the hotel, restaurant, and gas station industry. While we feel like, all right, well, we need to have somebody that makes it harder for us to run businesses, be able to hire people, and supports unionization and $15 minimum wage when it really only impacts our industry more than everybody else's. Well, I don't think she embraced that side of her. From what I know about her upbringing, like her parents put her into the civil rights movement like right away. Yeah. She's always been big into like, the black empowerment kind of thing. So I, I don't think she's really embraced her Indian side too much, but I did see an article saying that Indians were super proud to see an Indian candidate at the helm. And I was like, oh, that's, yeah, I get it. But is that the common viewpoint of Indians in America who are like, wait, we don't want our taxes jacked. We work in industries like the hotel and service industries that will be greatly impacted by this, you know? Yeah. And I mean, also, like, I'm curious about this pick because it's all about a law and order type style thing. Think about it. Kamala Harris is like, what do you call like a hardcore Democrat in terms of like her ideology with law and order. Under Kamala Harris, when she was attorney general, there was, they saw a lot more people going to jail for marijuana possession. There was high levels of crime in her state whenever she was attorney general. And a lot of people were in jail and were in jail for drug usage and, you know, small misdemeanors that it kind of makes it seem more intense in terms of more of a police type state with Kamala Harris. And with all the riffraff going on with all the racial strife and all like many of these cities like Seattle and Chicago just rearing a up with the crime violence going on. I do, I'm mean, curious on how this would all work. Plus Biden has been about defunding the police. And she was Kamala a cop. Harris, probably not about that because she's an attorney general she she was so a cop I, what did you know she was an actual cop like she I was she was a cop but in this environment in this day and age you have to think about the people on the left wing that want to defund the police and during her presidential campaign people called her out for being a cop what do you think they're going to do now like that wing of the democratic party to me there's a big chance they just i'm not saying they're voting for trump there's a big chance they just don't vote they're not going to support someone yeah. that, that thinks like that. And they're already kind of coy with Joe Biden. He, he's kind of, I have to wonder how many people actually voted for Joe Biden. Like, I feel like Joe Biden was almost picked out of the gate to be the candidate. I don't think anyone else was even given a fair shot. No. So what happened with Biden is Biden's vote was split between five different candidates. And right before the, right after the South Carolina primary, every one of them dropped out. Yeah. Kamala Harris dropped out a little bit earlier than that. 
Elizabeth, uh, not Elizabeth Warren. What's her name? Um, Amy Klobuchar dropped out. Pete Buttigieg dropped Tulsi out. Tulsi Gabbard. And yeah, she dropped out. A lot of those like random candidates that you know weren't gonna win dropped out. And then if if it wasn't for Bloomberg staying in the race, I feel like he probably would have won the same the whole thing clean slated, because Bloomberg and his vote split a lot in a lot of these like areas where it was a lot more you know, Southern areas and there's a lot more conservative Democrats. Mm -hmm. There were like a lot of, you know, parallels between both of those two campaigns. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Bloomberg probably had more ideas than Biden did too. But I mean, in the end of the day, both of them were Democrats and Biden won because he was more well-known and all the other people dropped out. Well, ideas don't win votes necessarily. Like, um, who is it like Ross Perot in the late nineties who would literally give people a PowerPoint presentation of why he was going to fix the economy and how he was going to, and he did get some of the vote, but it really didn't matter at all. It's about messaging. Votes, though. He did it's split about, Bush it, completely. and Clinton and he did True. split, um, what is it? Clinton and what were the other guy's name was that ran against him? Dole. Dole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Dole. Uh, but I think especially with the internet age, it's more about messaging and charisma. And being willing to just attack. That's like, what I'm worried about. Being dogmatic is really important. Kamala Harris is the most charismatic person of all the people that are going to be debating. I don't know if she's charismatic. Uh, I think she's more, she's an excellent debater. She's excellent at getting her point across. She was a lawyer. I get that. But uh, to me, that doesn't necessarily translate into charisma. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know how much Tim, Tim Kaine helped Hillary Clinton. And I don't he really didn't. know how much Mike Pence helped Donald Trump. I don't I, really think either of them made that much of an impact. I do remember that Pence-Kane debate, which really was crappy, about when he he's like called Kane out for Hillary Clinton calling everybody deplorables. I don't even know when she called everybody deplorables, but apparently she did, and it was bad. Yeah. So, like, that was then. So, like, I don't know how much of an impact it makes, but I have a feeling that the vice president does make a little bit of an impact. But the question is, how much? And Biden, instead of Biden, probably Kamala Harris is probably a much more of a, you know, quote unquote, liberal candidate. Biden is just a weirdo dude. Like, <laughs> he says goofy things. He, he, like, does goofy things. He was on air the other day, and he called a reporter a cokehead. Mm. And he also went on air saying African-Americans are not as diverse as the Hispanic community. And if you don't vote for Joe, Joe Biden, you ain't black. Ain't black. <laughs> exactly. So, like, I don't know how it is. Like, I mean, in the other hand, like, with somebody like Kamala Harris, you know she's not going to screw up and say something stupid like that. That's the thing. Maybe she's more of a politician than both of these two candidates are, which I, really yeah, terrifies yeah. me. It, it terrifies me because, like I said, I, Joe Biden, I don't know if he lasts four years. I really have no idea. And even if he's alive in four years, to say he'll be able to be, do the job of the president, like we talk about presidents when they come into office and when they leave and what they look like. And sure, Trump is kind of an, an anomaly. Like that guy has so much energy. It, it, he seems fine. Like I, Honestly, I don't know. They're about the same age, but he seems fine. Joe no, Biden's no, Actually, Joe Biden's 78, okay? Donald Trump was the oldest president to assume office at 70. Oh, wow. We, we have a bunch of oldies that keep running. Before that, it was Ronald Reagan at 69. And Ronald Reagan was the youngest to leave office at 76. Hmm. That is like way gone past that time. But going back, to the, going, going back to the point we had before, 
I think the vice presidency specifically in this election is going to have a, a pretty big impact. And I, I, I don't think it's just because Biden's a white guy and she's a black woman. I think it's because we don't know who's going to end up in the presidency. And there's a possibility it is Kamala Harris. Personally, I, th- I don't think I think she's kind of scummy. I think she's an opportunist. I don't think she really believes in anything she does. She just does things for power and to get connections. And a lot of the, a lot of her prosecuting stuff was just so shady. The fact that she wants to turn, flip it all around and say, oh, now we're going to defund the police. Now we're not going to prosecute nonviolent drugs. It just doesn't, it just doesn't seem like she means it. And when she gets into office, how many people don't execute on what they say they were going to execute on? How many people campaign on something and then in their presidency don't act on it at all? I feel like this is part of that. I, I feel like she doesn't actually want to create some of the changes that our voters may want to seek. And a vote for her and Biden would just be a return to the establishment. So we've, we've, we've had Trump. We've had that experience. We're going to see whether the public wants a return to the establishment or more, more of whatever we've created with this Trump administration. I will say one thing about Trump, though. Like, regardless, before the pandemic, our economy did turn around a lot under President Trump. Well, our- was it a turnaround or did it just continue to go up? Because we have been we no, were up for like 11 years. I we think it's a The reason I'm saying that is this. So whenever Obama and Trump, uh, whenever Trump and Clinton's election took place, that 2016 day, prior to that, the stock market was close to 15,808. Okay. Then it went up to 16,000. And 16,000 was where it was at close to whenever the election took place. After that, since that day, the stock market kept on going up and going up all the way up to almost around 29,000. And that's when the pandemic hit. And right now the stock market was exactly where it was before the pandemic hit. So like our market is almost stabilized in all that context. Sure, there's a lot of unemployment problems. There's a big economic problem. A lot of industries like my own are like really suffering right now because there's not enough people wanting to travel. The tourism industry is dead, but the potential is still there. And I feel like the reason why a lot of that potential is there is because of a lot of these different small regulatory cuts that she made. He made it easier for people to become a business. He made it easier by reducing the corporation tax from 28 to 23. Corporation tax, by the way, is just like a double income tax. So the companies already pay an income tax, but on top of that, they also pay a corporation tax. And the people that are paying taxes are basically being double taxed. And the cap gains tax went down significantly too. Both, all those three accomplishments that I just listed, Biden is going to make that exactly where it was when Obama was president, if not a little bit more. So like he hasn't really, he's not going to produce any different change or anything. He's going to potentially make it worse. But what I am fearful and what I never understand is that why do all these major banks, why do all these major pharmaceutical industrial companies, why do all these major tech industries always support the democratic cause? Whenever, because whenever they, if the Democrats had their way, somebody like Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris have been famous for being very anti-banks. They want to shut down all the big banks to break it up into all the small little banks. But people like banks like JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley and BBNT and Bank of America, a large amount of their funding goes towards making Democrats stay in power, including people like Elizabeth Warren, who are considered bank hawks. I Same just saw an article saying that bankers want Biden to win. Yeah, I think it's for the stability. 
I, you know, maybe. But what are you gonna what are you gonna do for banks? You're gonna jack up capital gains tax. You're gonna make it harder for businesses to be able to profit with the amount of loans that banks are willing to give. And you're gonna reduce the amount of loans that banks are gonna be willing to give because under democratic policies, you have policies like Dodd Frank, which make it harder in terms of reserve requirements and the you know, like debt service ratios and what you have to fulfill in order for you know companies to be in the same ballpark range as banks want them to be. And I feel like in many cases, if, if you're a small bank, if you're like, I don't know, Regions Financial, and you're competing with some bank like Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo, despite all their problems and despite being sued and all that stuff, they're still one of the largest banks in terms of pure, cap, pure like, you know, substance and capital. I do argue that for, if you have to maintain a certain mandatory reserve requirement, the small bank is not going to be able to be willing to take that risk to give another, another person a loan in order to grow potentially and grow themselves, while a larger bank does have that ability to do that. But at the end of the day, even they're more restricted. So I don't know exactly. And what out one other one that I want to talk about is the pharmaceutical industry. If it was up to people like Kamala Harris, they're all big bent on, you know, having Medicare for all. So basically, they're also big fans of eliminating the private healthcare sector to create a public health. Well, well, so this is an issue that she's been very wishy-washy on because in the yeah. debates, she kind of said, I get that. She kind of said that. But for the most part, she's like, I don't really think I want to do that. It wasn't until recently that she's actually backed up on that because she has to to fit in with the progressive agenda and this is where i think she's an opportunist i don't think she actually really cares what happens it's more of she wants the she wants to be able to make the decision regardless but see like my thing is like if you're a company like pfizer if you're a company like johnson and johnson or valiant or novavax or any of these major healthcare companies there are if a lot of these people are spending a lot of money in supporting the democrats why that's the big question why if I was Pfizer and let's say the Democratic people want to come into power and eliminate the private healthcare sector, that means they want to literally eliminate my company. They want to make it so that my company is no longer able to exist. So basically, or, exi or exist privately. My it would have to be run by the government. Yeah. It, what I'm saying is like in any of those cases, though, it hurts the business. It hurts Pfizer. So why would somebody like Pfizer be supporting Democrats? And none of that stuff ever makes any sense to me. Like, why would you support an industry that, support a person that wants to shut down your industry? It's almost like they don't. <laughs> it's almost like they're being paid not to. Like, regardless of however we feel about Trump, Trump is what he is. Like, I'm not shocked about how Trump's handling China. I'm not really shocked on how he's handling Russia or any of our countries that we're adversaries with. And that's part of the weird stuff about Trump. How, how the policies that he's implemented in terms of immigration, he's the first president to actually implement any policies on immigration in a long time. And like, sure, it's different. But I mean, he's lived up to what he said he was. All he hasn't done is built a wall and made Mexicans pay for it. That's <laughs> true. Like, you know, so. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think we talked about that for a bit. Is there anything else you want to talk about? How about what are your what are your thoughts on blaming the whole virus on China? Um, China virus. Yeah. Um, well, it, yeah, it was basically their fault because of their poor conditions. And then they delayed telling the world because it would benefit them. So 
yeah, I mean, it, it is absolutely is their fault. What we can do about that, I don't know. I like these economic sanctions. I like the fact that Tencent's being restricted, even though they make some of the best games, video games out there. Um, you know, I, what, what can we do? Are we going to start a war? I mean, the next war we have with China is going to be over Taiwan. I don't think it's going to be over this virus. I'm, I'm also a pragmatic, pragmatic in terms of economic policy. And what I am worried about is that 75 to 80% of all of our products come from China. All that, that's starting to shift. A lot of U.S. people are starting to manufacture in India, in Vietnam. They're like, I just want to be anywhere but China because they know the American populace is becoming very angry at China. And people, consumers are going to start making decisions based off where things are made. Like if iPhones are continually made in, Ch- in China after this, I think they're going to see some issues. Why are they still made there? They're charged their price at such a premium. It makes no sense that they have to be manufactured in China. And there are plenty of other developing nations that could use the capital and aren't going to take the, the, the approach China has like with stealing intellectual property and obviously the communist government, whatever its plans are. So. That's fair. No, one other thing I want to talk about, the new vaccines that are coming out. So Russia just released yeah, I saw the that, coronavirus yeah. vaccine yesterday. India is planning to release a coronavirus vaccine on the 15th. Then, you know, for us, we have Moderna and Pfizer competing to release a vaccine as soon as they can, post to September something. So all of these companies are releasing vaccines. Now, what I've been been having debates and conversations about with people is that with the Russia vaccine, should we be able to trust it? Should we believe that if Russia has a vaccine, we should be providing it to a bunch of people? And my thought process is this. If Russia creates a vaccine, and no matter how much I hate Russia with a passion in terms of foreign policy and what they do and how they act against the United States, in the end of the day, if they have a vaccine and it can, it, if it works, that means millions of other people's lives can be saved. And first, obviously, they're going to try it out on their own Russian citizens. And if it does work, then it will come to be spread globally. Do we think that we should use Russian vaccines or we should be worried about how Russia, you know, created this vaccine and be worried about the side effects that it might have? Well, you know, the science, the science works or it doesn't work. The one issue I have is I don't know if we've had enough time to be able to test all of the effects. You have to imagine what do some of these vaccine effects take years to develop? And then what are we going to inject everyone on earth? And then we all turn you know, the, the potential disastrous outcome of this makes me very cautious. So if the science, if, if we can verify the science and do our own testing on it, sure. But should we believe another country's numbers, a dictatorship's numbers, numbers on the research of that? I don't think so. We should independently test it. See, my thought process is always that I always want America to be first on everything. So I want America to be the first to produce this vaccine and spread it around the world globally. And I honestly believe America has the best pharmaceutical industries. We have the best healthcare systems and we have the best medical technology to be able to probably manufacture a vaccine at a much cheaper and much more effective cost than all these other countries can. And I know we have all kinds of executive orders and stuff like that right now that whenever there is a vaccine, it's going to be free for the public and the government is going to pay for it and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, like, I feel that if anybody is going to be able to do it, it's America in terms of how far our healthcare is systems are and how medical, medically advanced our technology is. 
And I honestly do believe that it would be us. And I don't have any doubt that it's going to be some company like Pfizer or Moderna or like any of those kind of companies, because those are the companies that have all the resources and they'll have all the funding and money in place to make something happen. And you know, America, we spend more money on aiding the entire world in terms of healthcare. We provide so much funding and research funding to all these major institutions, such as the National Health Organization, the World Health Organization, the National Health Institute, a lot of those groups that if whenever, if we were, I mean, if we could do all that, I'm sure we can be able to find a vaccine. And we've never had a major disease outbreak like this in many, many years. So I don't know. Maybe. I'm more optimistic about this than you are. But I don't no, it's not that I'm not optimistic. I just don't think it has to come from America. I just think the the science, regardless of where it comes from, has to be verified. And what I like about it being a made in America is it has to pass the FDA test, which is very yeah. They're they're they go hard. Like they're they don't let any corn any whatever unturned. Like they're they're gonna make sure everything's everything's in order. That's something Russia either doesn't have the infrastructure or capability or funding to do. But if we could take a vaccine that Russia makes, synthesize it, we know what's in this, and then do our own testing on people that are maybe, maybe they're ill. I, I don't know if the vaccine's more preventative. We, we have to have some kind of t- testing, more, more so than what Russia's done in its own public. Maybe it's rushed. Maybe they'll say, what if everyone in Russia, what if the coronavirus disappears in Russia? You know? What then again, what if that data is not right? It didn't actually disappear and they just said it. Like there's so many factors to consider. Yeah. I wouldn't mind another country producing it. Like I said, I just think we have to verify it somehow. Fair. What do you think about uh, people going back to school though with it still going on? There's no vaccine. There's no social distancing as you've seen from like the countless videos online. So when it comes to schooling, I think the people, the kids that need the most help and need the most, like, you know, one, one-on-one education is smaller kids. So kids below the age of 10. And in terms of elementary students, the problem is always going to be that how are you going to tell a five-year-old or a six-year-old to keep a mask on and make sure they're only sitting this much apart from somebody else, that they're not touching their, like, body or they're picking their nose or biting their nails and things like that? It's a lot harder to do. It's impossible. But at the same time, those kids that are under 10 can't watch a TV screen or can't watch a computer screen and learn what to do. Like, they need a teacher. They need hands-on training. But not only that, schooling, schooling for little kids, a lot of it's about social development. So, so many of these kids are just not getting the social exposure that they need or people have typically expected. And this is especially true if you have like a two, three, four-year-old. What if they just don't get contact for like a year or two? That could really screw up people. Like that's, so. But see, like, I also feel like if you're like trying to educate a kid, right? You want to try to teach them how to read and write and learn phonics and, you know, be able to say words. Like what you really need somebody teaching you how to do that kind of stuff. I agree. And yeah. I argue that a lot of parents may have the time and ability to be able to teach their own kids, but not everybody is privileged in order to be able to do that. Some parents are working 24 seven and they don't have the time and the actual ability to be able to provide 24 seven hands-on training to their kids. And that's something that wealthier people potentially have more than people that are lower income. 
And I do argue that if it, I mean, in terms of like how the structure is, some kid that is like 12, 13, 14, I really don't think that going to school makes that much of a difference than going to virtual school because you're going to get the same stuff. It's not like you're going to learn anything different. Obviously, you're not going to be able to interact with a bunch of kids and you're not going to be, be able to learn social skills and learn, you know, like common sense kind of stuff. It's not book smart type related stuff. But that's that incredibly important. Around uh, other people. You could argue but, that's more important. Yeah. But see, the thing is that in the end of the day, if you're I mean, in terms of sheer education, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference in terms of that aspect. But I do argue that in terms of how it is, like we we really need to do stuff to make the focus on the younger kids because of that older ages older age kids are like can or can operate the same way the college students operated and can operate the same way high school students operated because like if you're in middle school like sure you can you can learn stuff online obviously you going to a place to learn it may help a little bit more being in interaction with other students that would be involved in like group discussions and involved in the communication of the material that probably helps out too but i feel like a lot of that stuff can still be done with zoom along with you know the actual education part of it but i feel like for elementary educated students and elementary education it's a much more problem especially early elementary but what about what about colleges like Elon University where we went? Oh, I have a I have a strong thoughts. I have a strong thought on. But, the, but you know, Elon, they're accepting students, and one of the rules that they put in place is you're not allowed to have other students over. It's just some of the things they say are all about liability. It's not practical. So, so they're letting people on campus, and they're not going to socially distance, and we just kind of have to accept that. So what I would argue is that they shouldn't have allowed students on campus, and the reason I'd argue that is that with all this stuff. You have online education programs, right? One of the biggest problems with all these major universities right now is they're charging the same amount of tuition to people that are like, you know, going to regular school and the people that are going to online school when everybody's receiving an online education. Yeah. The only reason that they're sending all these students to campus is so they can justify the residential funding that they can get and, you know, the potential food funding that they can get to be able to raise the cost of campus living. And the problem with all that stuff is like, if I was a student, I would be protesting right now. Why am I spending five, 6,000, maybe 10,000 more than somebody that's an online student that's gonna get the same exact education as I am? And the fact that that's how our system has evolved is a problem. Yeah. And like, I remember at American University where I just graduated from, they were having issues when I was like bringing this up is that they're not cutting down fees on gym and library for students. The gym and library have been closed since March, but all of these students still have to pay for gym and library usage. Did my apartment and building, my apartment building here, they closed down the pool and the gym for a long, a long while and they refunded the amenity fee, which is good. But then yeah. when they reopened it, the gym, for instance, there's like two machines open and we have to recharge the full amenity fee. It's and that kind of situation. And I, like, here's the thing. I, I, like, they're not, they're not doing it because they're bad people. They're doing it because they're a business that's trying to fund itself. They have yeah. employees, all those food workers, they, they rely on that as their job. Like, it's not that they're doing it selfishly, but like you said, the system being designed in the way it is, what are we going to just foot the bill and add student debt to millions of Americans just because we want to stay open? We want to continue to do what we've yeah. done, but the economy doesn't work like that. You can't always do what you want to do. You do 
with what the environment allows you. So I, I agree, we shouldn't be going back to school, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So we're kind of... So one of the things that I was actually thinking about too is sports. So, you know, my whole thought process is why is the NFL having so many issues with opening up? Why is the NBA in a bubble? Like, to think about it this way. All of soccer right now around the world, the Barclays Premier League, the German Bundesliga, the La Liga from Spain, all of those major soccer leagues, which have a lot more players playing in terms of the amount of teams they have per league in all these different countries. None of them have had any coronavirus deaths. None of them have had any coronavirus problems. And all of their, they all played like at least 15 to 20 games this season after coronavirus started and when they, re, when they restarted their season. If they were all able to do that, why are Americans lagging? And do you think that's because of a political conversation? Or do you really think that like we just don't have the facilities and the testing centers and such and like athletic facilities in place to make it so that there isn't any problems for athletes to be able to get on the field without fans? I think democracy is great and I think freedom's great, but it comes at a cost. This is especially true when you need to come together as a community. We really don't have that sense of unity anymore. So when they tell you to wear a mask and you're like, but I'm trying to feed my kids, I don't give a, an F about your I'm going to kill myself because I've been stuck inside for five months. I have no job and no money. I have to feed my family. Like, <laughs> why, why would that person care about masks, you know? So I think part of it's just us being an individual culture. I think what makes Americans great is also a detriment in some places like this. But then you have instances of like the UFC, for instance, it's way less people. But if you're very strict and stringent on the testing, it can be achieved. For these larger leagues, I'm not quite sure. I, I really don't know. Like, I'm hopeful that NFL starts up, mainly because the soccer league started up. They've been having wrestling for a long time. Which I know it's fake, but they're still like, you know, touching each other and stuff like <laughs> Like, I mean, look, they're jumping on top of one another. I mean, yeah. like, regardless of whether it's like real or not, it is physical contact. It's entertainment. It's contact. <laughs> it, it, we were really craving entertainment is really. What we're <laughs> so we're, like with football, like I do, I do feel like, you know, baseball is having a lot of issues. Basketball is because of their bubble. Now with football, like I hope their season starts out well and I hope it goes well, but I'm worried about it. But like, thing is every other world sport has been able to figure it out cricket has started up again soccer has started up why is all these american sports having issues the problem with football specifically is team sizes you you have what over 50 people on a team and that's not true with pretty much any other sport i, I mean, know soccer of soccer is a lot of players well, on the team yeah so but they're gonna be a bunch of people sitting on the bench I mean, sure, but I don't think it's near 50 because you need yeah. special teams people. You need That's true. second, third, fourth line, down the line, whatever. So it's What, what, about, what are your thoughts about hockey? Hockey started up too, though. It started in hockey Canada. Hasn't had any problems. It's only in Canada. They're not allowed in the, the U.S. Oh, But everybody is playing from the U.S. in no. Canada. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're having their, stand, they're having their playoffs, right? I might be wrong. I, I haven't been following it, but I know that they're definitely in Canada right now. They're not. One, one other random topic with that, because we're talking about sports. Do you, so with all this stuff going on, college sports are trying to shut down, right? I've always been a big supporter of this. And I know it's not really a political issue, but it is that students need to get paid. And like my whole thought process is that, all right, if you're an NFL player, if you're an NBA player, you're MLB player, any professional sport, you're getting paid a salary to play right if you're a college player you're not getting a salary to pay 
play. But college students are work, you know, apart from going to school, their whole life is their sport. Now, with those college students that are not getting a salary to pay or play, keep saying pay and play, it's very similar. Um, because of that situation, now whenever this kind of stuff happens, the college student will have so many more problems if they're an athlete on a scholarship or whatever, if they don't really get the chance to play. And also argue that they're potentially going to be restricted from getting any other jobs because they're an athlete. Do you think this is a problem or like it's I'm overthinking this? I don't think they're going to have an issue getting a job. There's a lot of connections, especially in like division one sports where, Oh, you have a teammate works at a company. They'll help you get a job. So I don't think that's a big problem, but to be able to show your skills, if I'm a senior in high school and I want to be recruited and maybe I really, I, I, I peaked this year, but we were, we were unable to play and no one wants to recruit me that, I mean, that sucks. And same thing for college going to the NFL. What if this was your shot? this is when you are primed to make an impact and you're just unable to, it sucks. Absolutely sucks. I don't know what we're going to do about it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't want to leave on that note though. That's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> what are, what are oh, hold thoughts? on, hold on, hold on. Can we, can you just go to Kamala Harris dot info? Okay. So it's just, it's just amazing to me. Hold on. Kamala Harris amazes you. But she is half Indian, half black, and married to a white guy. Not that. So the second she was announced, this website, KamalaHarris.info, went went online. And it's just a really clean-looking website that just trashes her through and through. And and they're selling (laughs) T-shirts and masks of her and Biden and hiding from Biden. Biden Harris sniffer. Like, it's it's crazy. Got nonviolent criminals in jail to put out forest fires. But this is... I know it says at the bottom, this is political commentary, parody. It's not paid for by any candidate, committee, or PAC, but it's by an American citizen, self-funded. We all know this is part of some marketing plan in Trump's organization, whether he's totally connected to it or not. It's genius. Like Stuff like this will help you win the election. Trump, there's so much stuff. People are are almost numb to the stuff that's criticizing Trump because it happens so often. But when when Trump goes after someone, he does it really well. And I feel like him and his uh, administration understand the media better better than any other campaign I've ever seen. Them putting something out like KamalaHarris.info is just, to me, it's it's incredible. (laughs) It's genius. I mean, a lot of it's true though, too. Like it's all. I mean, it's pretty much they're not lying on it. He actually did. It's so, but it's a way to get it across that's funny. You know what I mean? It's it's a way to get it across that's not in your face or trying to change your mind. It's like, look, like, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm not listening. It's it, it's look. Here are what she, this is what she's done and actually believes, and they're just they're just putting it out there. But it's all all the stuff obviously the Kamala Harris campaign doesn't want you to know. And during the debates, what if Trump just points out a website like this? You know, I I feel like it's super powerful <laughs> from a digital media perspective. I find this quote to be hilarious. What, hilarious. When asked about Joe, Joe Biden accusers who say he touched them inappropriately, Kamala Harris replied, I believe them. I respect them being able to tell their story and having the courage to do it. Titled April 3rd, 2019 from the most reliable source, Huffington Post. Yeah, well, this, is, this goes back. <laughs> Does she have any morals or values or is, she just, is it a big game to become president one day? Because we <laughs> all know that's what she's after. And, and she, she wants to get it. If she's vice president, even if Biden does nothing happens to Biden, let's say Biden's campaign wins after four, eight years, whatever, she's she's in the mix. She's on the top 
of that. Because who else are we going to have? Uh, Warren? Sanders? I mean, sorry, but they're way too old at that point. Like, who else, who else is going to be there? She checks a lot of the boxes. Yeah. I mean, she's setting cool. herself up for the future presidency. She is a moderate progressive. Yeah. Well, <laughs> only she is able to be so many things at once. If only I could believe so many contrary hypocritical things at once, I may be president. Do you think Trump is like that, though? Because I feel like that's what I probably used to say about Trump back in the day. What? He's an opportunist in many ways. He's a what? He's an opportunist, too, in many ways. Oh, totally, totally an opportunist. Do you really think Trump but cares about religious Here's right? the thing. He's, he's at least authentic when he speaks. A lot of yeah. what he says is stuff he actually believes. And I don't think that's true for Kamala Harris. I'm not saying that Trump doesn't seize an opportunity or whatever, but he speaks his mind and he says exactly what he's... It's easy for me not to trust. Well, yeah, sure. To trust more of what they say if, if, if it's what they're actually feeling. If you tell me some stuff and then like that quote you said, and then a few months later, everything had flipped upside down because you were given an opportunity. Like... Uh, but then I'm kind of contradicting myself. Trump's done the same thing. He was like, Hillary Clinton's the greatest person ever. And then he runs against her and trashes her. But, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's just politics. He's the best. Know. He's the best. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, let's leave it there. Uh, first return episode of Politicana. I Love thank it. you. Thank you for coming back, Pratik. We'll start getting this going again. Uh, thank you, anyone and everyone that's been listening. Please stay tuned next week. And that's all. Later. Thank you.